On Halloween night, while the city was alive with festivities, the Von Richthofen family home was plunged into darkness and horror. Susanne von Richthofen's wealthy and famous parents were brutally murdered in their own home. The crime sent shockwaves throughout the nation, and when the gruesome details of the case were revealed, the public was left stunned and terrified. Welcome to our channel. Today, we bring you a terrifying story about the Susanne von Richthofen case, one of the bloodiest and most horrific crimes in the history of Brazilian criminal justice. But what was even more terrifying was when the police uncovered the perpetrator behind the crime, and it was none other than Suzanne, the only daughter of the von Richthofen family. She had planned and executed the murder of her own parents on that fateful Halloween night. What was Suzanne's motive? Are there dark secrets hidden behind this gruesome crime? Join us as we delve deeper into the twisted mind of this ruthless criminal and uncover the shocking details of the Suzanne von Richthofen case. This case stakes us to a new nation, much like many of the others that have been released recently. In light of this, I would like to extend to you all a warm welcome to Brazil. This country is enormous by any measure since its population of slightly over 200 million people is spread out over an area of 3 million square miles. More than 60% of the country is covered by the Amazon rainforest, which is sometimes referred to as the lungs of the world. This region is home to about 3 million distinct species, making it one of the most biologically varied regions on the planet. But instead of focusing on the breathtaking landscape, we decided to explore the sprawling metropolis of Sao Paulo. It is possible that Rio de Janeiro is the most well-known city in Brazil. Nonetheless, Sao Paulo is the city with the largest population. It is the center of the country's economy and is home to a large number of cultural institutions in addition to having a storied architectural history. Each and every year, more than $200 billion pass through the city, and there are more than 4,500 families living inside the city's borders that are considered to be millionaires. This monetary sum leads us to the Von Richthofen family, who are a very wealthy family that live in the outskirts of Sao Paulo. The modest family home that they own in the neighborhood of Brooklyn, which is located south of the city, is estimated to be worth 3 million Brazilian riei, which is around $600,000. In addition to the several bedrooms that they had, they also had a swimming pool, an office, and even a library. The exposed brickwork clay on the exterior creates a dramatic backdrop that contrasts beautifully with the black iron gates and exotic flora. The von Richthofen family was located inside these massive fortifications where they had taken refuge. Starting with their father, Manfred Albert von Richthofen, he was a skilled German engineer and the director of Dersa, a state-owned firm that handled the various highways and roads heading out of Sao Paulo. Dersa was founded by their grandfather, Manfred Albert von Richthofen. Mauritia, who was married to him, worked as a psychiatrist in the neighborhood. It was rumored that the couple fell in love at first sight after meeting one another at the University of Sao Paulo, where Manfred was attending classes in civil engineering. 
Her enthusiastic and warm manner was a nice contrast to the calm and unassuming nature he possessed. The two were finally married in the 1970s, and not long after their wedding, they started discussing the possibility of starting a family. Suzanne Louise von Richthofen was the first human being to be brought into the world in 1983. She was the only kid in her family. On November 3, 1983, Suzanne was brought into the world, and exactly four years later, on November 3, 1987, Andreas, her younger brother, was brought into the world. The two children spent their childhood in an affluent environment, and despite the fact that they enjoyed a comfortable upbringing, very little notable information is known about their formative years. Due to the fact that the two attended some of the most exclusive private schools in the city, they both have exceptional intellectual abilities. In the brief time we spent focusing on Suzanne, we learned that she was a shy young girl who preferred to keep to herself. Even though she wasn't the most well-liked child, she did have a few close friends and managed to keep a healthy relationship with both of her parents as well as her brother. She graduated from a high school in Germany and then went on to study law at the Pontifical Catholic University of Sao Paulo. During her childhood, she picked up three other languages and continued her education afterward. It is reasonable to expect that she will behave responsibly as a member of society while she is studying law. In spite of the fact that she was working hard to build a prosperous and professional future for herself, she never had to stress about finances because her parents had a lot of it. It is believed that the fortune of the von Richthofen family was somewhere in the neighborhood of $17 million. And to add to this, there is a story that Suzanne's father had another $10 million euros stashed away in a Swiss bank account that he stole. Suzanne is in luck since it was intended for all of this money to be sent to her as soon as she completed her education, and a bank account in Switzerland was set up in her name just for that purpose. To answer your question, yes, Suzanne did have a privileged upbringing, an outstanding education, and 10 million euros in the bank. It was as simple as waiting patiently and being a decent person. However, it seems like this tale would be too simple. And do you seriously believe that she was planning on doing that? Moving forward in time, we are now in the summer of 2002. The connection that Suzanne had with her parents had reached a somewhat rocky road, and given that Suzanne was 18 at the time, it's probably not hard to imagine what the cause of this conflict was. It was love, not money. Ibira Puera Park played host to a model aircraft expo in August of 1999, around three years before that, when the von Richthofen family went there. The hobby of building model airplanes had become one of Andreas's interests, and while he was there, he struck up a conversation with a younger youngster named Daniel Craven Holtz. Because Andreas was becoming more and more interested in the hobby, he asked his parents if they might hire Daniel, who was 19 years old at the time, to teach him how to make model airplanes. They decided to take up the offer, and some weeks later, when Daniel was instructing Andreas, he suddenly attracted the notice of a person whose appearance was foreign to him. Suzanne, who is Andreas's sister, 
was the one who did it. Interesting asides. However, despite the assertions of several Western publications, such as Wikipedia, that Daniel and Suzanne first crossed paths in a kickboxing studio, this simply is not the case. They had previously known one other for a number of months prior to actually taking these lessons together. It wouldn't take long for Daniel and Suzanne to feel comfortable around one another. They say that opposites attract. And this couple is the ideal illustration of what that means. Daniel had a totally different childhood compared to Suzanne, who came from an affluent family and had a good education. He was one of the many people in Sao Paulo who hailed from a family that struggled to make ends meet despite the city's large wealth gap. Daniel and Christian, his older brother, both worked as mechanics at the same shop in the neighborhood. They had left their formal education unfinished since they left school at a very young age, which means that they did not complete their formal education. Daniel's loud and defiant attitude captivated her, despite the fact that she was a reserved young woman who kept to herself. However, because she was not certain how her parents would react to her having a connection with Daniel, she made the decision to keep this one a secret at first. The fact that Suzanne was involved in a romantic connection with Daniel was finally disclosed to her parents as the months wore on. And despite the fact that they initially did not show a great deal of worry and even gave their permission for her to date him, they finally ended up changing their views as they discovered more about him. Because despite the fact that Daniel claimed to be attending law school and had previously been engaged in the construction of model airplanes, he had really abandoned both of these endeavors. Instead, he was a heavy pot smoker practically every day. And while this level of dependence did not often provide a challenge, it did cause him to become sluggish and nervous. He had no plans to go back to school or look for work. Instead, he was fine with getting high and spending all of his time with Suzanne. He also had no idea of ever marrying Suzanne. Now, it should go without saying that every parent wishes only the best for their children. And while Manfred and Mauritius were both diligent workers who had amassed a lot of riches, it was impossible for them to continue to tolerate the fact that their daughter was dating him. However, the pair had a unique wingman in the form of Daniel, whom Andreas regarded as a good friend in addition to adoring his sister. While the two were gone having fun in hotels and spending time at Daniel's house, he frequently covered up their inappropriate behavior. In order to protect Suzanne from her parents, Andreas would devise complex cover stories. Suzanne and Andreas were given unrestricted access to the home while their parents, Manfred and Mauritia, were away on vacation in Europe for a period of one month. In addition, Suzanne had just turned 18 years old at the time, making this an ideal occasion for her to demonstrate her level of maturity to her parents. But of course, that's not how the situation actually played out. Instead, she decided to surprise Daniel with an invitation to move in with them. They wasted the entire month away by the pool, experimenting with a wide variety of substances and becoming drunk. When Baron von Richter got back to his residence and found out about it, he and his wife immediately got into a dispute about it, which continued for the next few weeks. 
and with each one, Suzanne's level of desperation rose to an even higher level. She even went so far as to beg her father to give her and Daniel an apartment so that they could live happily ever after together. As expected, his response was negative. However, he did tell her that she could do whatever she wanted as long as she spent her own money on whatever she chose to do. And with that, he threatened to stop giving her the money she was supposed to get each week. Suzani was angry, but in the end, she came to terms with the fact that she had lost, at least on the surface, for the simple reason that she was still dating Daniel in the background. And the things that the two were conspiring to do in the background were absolutely horrible. November 1st, 2002. Screams of terror could be heard emanating from the city streets of Zakaria in the wee hours of the morning. The children of the von Richter Fenn household were horrified by what they saw, and the sound of their terror could be heard coming from within the home. The night before, Suzani and her brother Andreas had evaded capture and left the house in the dead of night. They were confronted with a pretty grisly scene not long after they had snuck back into their house just after four in the morning. Morish and Manfred, the children's mother and father, had both passed away. Both victims' bodies were discovered by responding cops in the primary bedroom. They had been viciously assaulted while they were sleeping. And it appears that more than one way of murder was utilized, as evidenced by the things found in the room. Maurice and Manfred were nearly unrecognizably battered when they were rescued. There were obvious signs of strangulation around the victim's neck. Maurice appeared to have a waist bag wrapped around her head and one of the women appeared to have been waterboarded. It seemed as though the family had been robbed of their belongings. It was necessary to use force to remove money from a luggage, and any additional compartments that may have housed cash are now devoid of their contents. But the pieces didn't fit together. For instance, as the cops started to examine around the property with a more scrutinizing lens, the alarm system failed to warn their guards who were stationed across the street at the time. And in point of fact, after checking into it a little bit more, we found that the alarm system had been deactivated, which suggests that the people who murdered them must have had the code. In addition, the health center that had been robbed appeared to be far too tidy to be a crime scene. The papers in the office were tossed out in a haphazard manner which is not something a hasty thief would do. The list goes on for there. There were no indications that the door had been broken into. No electronic equipment was taken, and several of the rooms were not disturbed in any way. So, tell me just what transpired with the Von Richter fence, will we? At first, no one was aware of it. The attention of the media was directed toward Andreas and Suzani. According to reports, Andreas was so distraught that he had trouble breathing for the most part of the day. And despite the fact that Suzani looked to be devastated as well, she gave off the impression of being very composed for a young lady who had just recently lost both of her parents. Therefore, the police quickly became aware of their nighttime spent away from the family home. At about nine o'clock in the evening, Suzani secreted her brother out of the home so he could go to a LAN party. Their parents had the impression that he was sleeping in his bed. 
and after she had dropped them all, Suzani supposedly made her regular night call and rented a motel room with Daniel so that the two of them could smoke and have some fun together. But when they got back to their house at four in the morning, before their parents had even gotten up for work, Suzani and Andreas discovered that their parents had been slain in their bed. In spite of this, Various questions arise at this point due to the fact that Suzanne's statements to the police were in direct opposition to those made by her brother. To begin, she told the cops that her parents approved of the connection between her and Daniel, which is, as we are well aware, a complete and utter fabrication. Both Manfred and Mauritius were laid to rest on November 1st, the day after their funerals. During the memorial service for their parents, it was observed that Suzani cried far less than her brother did. Her behavior, which was very dispassionate, provoked many points of view. On the other hand, that wasn't the only thing people were thinking about at the time. Only three days after her parents were murdered, rumors began to surface that Suzani had organized a pool party at her house. These rumors began to spread shortly after the murders. In addition to this, it should be mentioned that the speed with which her emotions shifted between cameras was observed. The authorities were already rather skeptical as a result of all of this, but what pushed them over the line was an anonymous tip. A buddy of yours had informed you about a somewhat questionable transaction that was made. A few short days after their deaths, a guy came into a neighborhood motorbike store to buy a Suzuki GSX. The killings had just occurred days before. They paid for the whole thing up front, but they only used $100 notes. Now, this in and of itself wasn't really suspicious, but they paid for the whole thing up ahead. In addition to this, the individual who was responsible for making this acquisition was none other than Christian Gravino also known to all of us as Daniel's elder brother. Those who were familiar with Daniel and Christian were somewhat dubious about this purchase because it was common knowledge that both of them were destitute and addicted to drugs. Therefore, as a result of this information, law enforcement authorities transported Christian to the nearby police station. After then, they started grilling him about the situation. And in spite of the tough guy persona he projected, he was actually quite simple to manipulate. They were taken aback when he acknowledged to killing Manfred and Mauritius, and he went on to say that Daniel and Suzani had been complicit in the crime. Christian asserts that Suzani and Daniel hatched a plot to murder her parents so that the two of them could be together at last and, more importantly, so that they could support themselves financially off of the $17 million they would inherit. The other two were taken into custody right away, and Suzani, who was aware that the evidence would sooner or later catch them, was the next person in line to confess. After Suzani, it was Daniel's turn to speak, and his remarks were different from those of Suzani. While she claimed that financial gain was not a factor in the decision, he insisted that it was a major factor. And despite the fact that they loved each other very deeply, it appeared as though they were no longer together not long after either of them was taken into custody. Now, despite being brought into prison, 
Suzani was ultimately released from jail until the trial commenced over four years after the crime she was accused of committing. Suzani consented to give an interview to the local media when she was still free to walk as she awaited her trial. During the course of the tape, she was heard sobbing, placing the responsibility for everything that took place on Daniel and asserting that Daniel was responsible for the dissolution of her family. The interview created the impression of a young woman who was very sad and shattered, someone who appeared to be innocent, missed her mother and father, and was clearly caught in the crossfire. And despite the fact that the publicity stunt was probably carried out with the intention of enhancing her reputation, it would really have the opposite impact. During the course of the interview, Unbeknownst to her at the time, a camera belonging to a third party had inadvertently filmed her attorney directing her to cry and act as though she were a helpless young lady. The next thing that happened was that she acted on every demand that he made, demonstrating that she was false and dishonest. Foreign. Because of her po-acting abilities, I'm relieved that she went into the legal field instead of the entertainment business. On July 17, 2006, Suzani, Daniel, and Christian were brought before a judge to face charges of homicidio qualificado, which in Brazilian law is the equivalent of murder in the first degree. During their time here, the jury was provided with extremely specific data of what took place on Halloween in the year 2002. Morish and Manfred were both sound asleep in the wee hours of the morning on November 1st. It was a Thursday, and both of them had spent the most of the day laboring away at their respective jobs. At 9 o'clock in the evening, Andreas and Suzani quietly left the house. However, he didn't have any malicious motive behind his actions. He went to a local area network party. But Suzani, on the other hand, had intentions that were far more tragic. She took Daniel and Christian with her as she drove back to her house. And despite the fact that the family's security guard observed her, he did not feel threatened by her presence. When Suzani finally got home, the first thing she did was go check on her parents to see whether they were already asleep. As soon as she was given the go-ahead, she turned off the house alarm and ushered Christian and Daniel into the living room. Following that, the men donned hoods and gloves used for surgical procedures. While Daniel and Christian proceeded upstairs with crowbars in hand, Suzani rested comfortably on the plush sofa that belonged to her parents. When they discovered that Manfred and Mauricia were sleeping, the two started brutally beating them. But even though they were in excruciating amounts of pain, the two wouldn't pass away. The brothers were in such a frenzy to get the task done that they resorted to utilizing towels that they discovered in the bathroom. And while it was unfortunate that this would prove to be Manfred's death, Mauricia was still alive. Daniel went looking for a plastic bag and then callously tied it around her head in a manner that was both harsh and heartless. After what seemed like an eternity, Mauricia finally stopped taking breaths. After they had completed their mission, the three individuals created the illusion of a break-in by scattering a number of documents about the workplace and stole as much money as they could locate. Following that, the three of them exited the premises. After that, 
In order to establish his innocence, Christian went to a fast food restaurant where he was certain to be observed by customers. During this time, Daniel and Suzani were seen spending the night in a hotel room together, engaging in activities that are unknown. Before overtly demanding an invoice as evidence of having vacated the premises at 3.30 in the morning, one might consider the following. After picking up Andreas from the land party, Suzani drove back to the family home and feigned to be horrified when she saw the crime scene. Andreas was not present at the time. You are well aware of the remaining details, of course. In the course of her trial, Suzani laid all of the responsibility on Daniel. She made an attempt to make the claim that he had continuously dosed her with a drug mixture and taken advantage of her sleepy state to coerce her into agreeing to the killings. On the other side, the Cravino's brothers said that they were only carrying out her orders when they did what they did. In addition to this, they asserted that Suzanne's parents were drinkers and abusers, and that their motivation was nothing more than to watch out for Suzanne's best interests. In response to this, however, both Suzani and her brother Andreas categorically denied the veracity of these assertions and the results of the autopsies showed no signs of alcohol consumption. Suzani was still responsible for the crime despite the contradictory statements made by the Cravino's brothers. In point of fact, Prosecutor Roberto Tradelli singled her out as the criminal mastermind behind the conduct. She was further described as the epitome of the stereotype of the scheming blonde and it was said that all she wanted was to get her hands on the money and assets that her parents had labored so diligently to acquire. Fourth a nutshell, all she wanted was to be free and independent without having to put forth any effort. Suzani, Daniel, and Christian were all found guilty of murdering Manfred and Maurice Siobhan Richtofen on the 22nd of July, 2006, only five days after their trial had begun. The killings of Manfred and Maurice Yvonne Richter-Fenn had taken place in 2006. The prosecution asked for a penalty of 50 years in prison, but it became clear that none of the three defendants would get such a severe punishment. For their roles in the conspiracy, Suzani, Daniel, and Christian were each given a sentence of 40 years in jail, while Christian received a term of 38 years. Now, as you would probably anticipate from a person with such a pull track record, Suzani has made many efforts to get her sentence mitigated or completely overturned. For instance, in 2018, she submitted a petition for her release, explaining that she committed the act because of her egocentrism and personality problem. It should come as no surprise that this request was turned down since the fact that she is a self-indulgent brat does not justify the death of her parents. Following the conclusion of this investigation, there were a number of unfortunate developments to consider. For instance, Andreas, Suzanne's brother, was never able to properly grieve from the loss of both of his parents. In the year 2017, Three anxious neighbors had awoken in the middle of the night to discover that someone had broken into their homes. A man with untidy hair was found lying on the ground nearby. And when the police arrived, 
He told them that he wasn't aggressive and that the only reason he was terrified was because he didn't care about his life. Andreas was the name of the guy. He was covered in scars all over his legs from the time he spent walking the streets aimlessly while carrying an artifact that belonged to his family. Soon after this, he was checked into the hospital for further treatment. And in a way that is eerily similar to the state of mind that Andreas was in for many years after the murders, the old family home stood abandoned, deteriorating, and gradually descending into a condition of hopelessness. It was sold to unknown purchasers in the year 2014, and they painted the entire facade white after they moved in. In spite of the fact that this information is available on Google Maps, the structure in question has been inexplicably obscured in each and every street image. At the very least in my opinion, it seems as though Andreas is the primary sufferer in this scenario. He was meant for bigger things had an excellent education and professional life ahead of him, and had two very loving parents. He was destined for greater things, had an outstanding education and professional life ahead of him. But in the twinkling of an eye, he managed to throw it all away. His mother and father had passed away, and both his sister and his best friend were serving time in prison. It should not come as a surprise that he descended into the most irrational parts of his psyche. And despite the fact that he was admitted to the hospital, there is a fair amount of mystery around what he has been up to in the time since then. In spite of the fact that she was responsible for the deaths of her parents, Suzani is likely to get their financial legacy when she has finished serving her sentence in jail. This is one of the most bizarre aspects of this narrative. This indicates that if she is given a sentence of 40 years, she will most likely be released and a multimillionaire by the year 2042, given the sentence. Even at this late hour, both Suzani and Daniel are doing their time under a system that is considered to be semi-open. This indicates that they are permitted time outside of prison for holidays and maybe even vacations. To make matters even more serious, she was also observed attending parties when she was out on vacation parole. I've learned a lot of intriguing information regarding foreign court cases, and this is one of those aspects. It would appear that even violent criminals are allowed time off from their sentences in Brazil. It's a bad the victims don't get compensation, but regrettably they don't. That concludes our coverage of today's case, folks. I am truly grateful for you taking the time to join us. Your comments are always appreciated and often lead to thought-provoking discussions. Until we meet again, please take care of yourselves and each other. Remember to prioritize your well-being. Thank you for tuning in, and goodbye.